0: Dr. Sean Fogler is a community outreach coordinator at the Pennsylvania Harm Reduction Coalition, a person in long-term recovery, physician, and certified recovery specialist. He has over 15 years of experience in the healthcare industry, working as a physician and with patients, administrators, and insurance organizations. This is a two-part episode. In this first part, we talk about how common a substance use disorder is among physicians and why we are at higher risk than the general public. He then gives guidance on where to go to seek help if you have a substance use disorder. We discuss physicians' health programs and some of the positives and areas for improvement of those programs, and he then discusses some critical elements to recovery. Sean is active in the recovery community and has a special interest in trauma and substance use disorders in professionals. He volunteers as a peer support specialist for Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers and works to improve public health policy for mental health and substance use disorders. Through his lived experience, he educates, informs, and works to battle the shame and stigma that keep the disease of addiction alive. Sean's role at PHRC involves engagement, education, writing, speaking, fundraising, and expanding knowledge of the disease of addiction and harm reduction. Sean holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Toronto and a doctor of medicine degree from Ross University School of Medicine, he completed an internship in internal medicine and a residency in anesthesiology at Hahnemann University Hospital in Philadelphia.
1: Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Dr. Sean
0: Fogler, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. So let's start with the macro view of addiction in physicians and then get to more of the micro
2: view. So first, how common is addiction in physicians? Well, I mean, this is something that's that's actually very common, more common than I think many of us realize. Uh, In in the general population, they say people with a substance use disorder are around 9 to 10%. Um, It's hard to know exactly with physicians, but the numbers seem to be somewhere around 15%. And that can vary actually with specialties. So anesthesiologists tend to have a little higher rate. Psychiatrists accept especially female psychiatrists, tend to have a a higher rate. Um, So it does, you know, there's no exact answer, but it's more common than it is in the general population. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we're at higher risk? I think there's so many different factors. Um, You know, even if you just look at general factors for addiction, you know, psychological, biological, things like anxiety, depression, we work at a very uh, high-pressure um, high-stress environment where lives are at stake. Um, and, you know, we're, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the systems we're in, and especially nowadays. As you know, with electronic medical records and more administrators looking for data and pushing us to, to work, you know, longer, harder, faster, and, um, and, and this causes, you know, the you hear about burnout and compassion fatigue and, and trauma, vicarious trauma, almost like PTSD in a way where people can feel very isolated, they don't feel valued. And I think one of the, one of the most important areas that leads to substance use disorders in, in physicians is the culture of silence, where we really, we don't feel safe. To to come out and share, hey, I'm stressed out. Hey, I feel depressed. Um, hey, I think I'm drinking too much because because of professional, you know, judgment, fear of consequences. Right? If somebody reports you to you know your chief or to the medical board, um, the consequences um, can be quite dramatic. So, I, I think we we have a culture of silence and we don't talk about this stuff. And I think many institutions talk about. You know, improving the culture, creating wellness programs, but I—it's I it, almost like lip service. It's like this is what we're supposed to be doing, but they're not really providing the time, the energy, and the—and the most important thing is probably the safe space, right? A space where you can share your struggles without fear of retribution in any way.
0: Yeah, this seems to be a, a theme in our profession. I, I had an interview a little while ago with. Stacia Dearman about litigation. And that's something that we're not allowed to talk about, right? Like if you're, if you're involved in a lawsuit, you're not allowed to talk about it. And that actually has led to physician suicide um, because you're allowed, you're, you're, you're involved in this. You feel terrible about something that happened. And then the lawyers use this against weaponize that against you. And then, you know, you're, you're, you're already in an extremely high stress situation, you know, and that, and that has, on occasion, turned out to lead to suicide. So this the fact that we're so siloed and that all they're doing is paying lip service, right? They create a wellness program because they're supposed to. Now, what's Mm -hmm. the science and the data behind a wellness program? I actually don't know offhand, but I would assume very little. Whereas the safe space seems to be really a, a, a great solution to this problem. But what What is their solution, aside from the wellness programs let's say let's say you do have a substance use disorder and you want to seek help. What is our current
2: system for that yeah it's the system is not good <laughs> <laughs> it really, it really right. isn't good because it's it, it, like it's funny I was thinking about this the other day, and there's you know. I was thinking about all the all the things that you that an individual a physician can do if they feel like they're struggling with a substance use disorder, and the last thing on my list was a physician's health program, right? Which is which is awful, and it tells all because you know a physician's health program, which is supposed to be about health and wellness for practitioners is a monitoring agency that says they're about physician health and wellness, but what they're really doing is protecting the medical board, protecting the institution, um, and they're monitoring agencies. And so, like, I mean, if I I had a... I mean, it starts with being honest, which is really hard when somebody does have a substance use disorder. I mean, part, just part of the disease is... Is isolation, like I always say addiction or substance use disorders are, are diseases of isolation. Um, and you become disconnected from yourself and from reality. So, um, and from the world around you. And so, and, and there's all these, and it's rooted in fear um, and shame. There's a tremendous amount of shame. And so, like, I, I think, you know, starting with your family, if you can talk to your family, I think having a therapist or, or connecting with a therapist um, is a great place to start. Um, mutual aid groups like AA and NA are great places to engage with people. If you know, if you can take that step, which is really hard at first, really, really hard. There are recovery communities. Um, there's Caduceus meetings, which you know I've been going to a Caduceus meeting for almost five years now. Um, where it's just doctoral level healthcare professionals, and those are great places too. Um, anonymously, you can you know you can contact employee assistance programs. So there are a lot of things. The last place I would do is the last thing I would do would be pick up a phone and call a physician's health program, um, or or even talk to your like. I, I think you know talking to your colleagues, talking to Say your clinical, you're clinical. the chief of your department. Is is tricky. You know, some places that's probably a great thing to do um, and beneficial. And in other places, it can be catastrophic. You know, well, ultimately,
0: of ultimately, goals. you don't know what they're what they're going to do with that information, right? Whereas if right. you're with with a therapist, aren't they obligated to keep it confidential? Right.
2: Exactly, and that's the first place I would start. Um, you got, you have to find somebody who's trusted, um, and where you can share this stuff in a, in a safe space. I, I mean, that is, that's, you know, and, and that's one of the other things I do on the side and, uh, you know, I can, can get into it, um, you know, a little bit more later, but I were, I volunteer for this organization called Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers and they provide peer support to lawyers, judges, and their families, and law students as well. And um, they do a better job than we do. They do a much better job than we do. And it it's all anonymous. Um, the goal is to get you back to work healthy and whole. Um, and it's not punitive at all. Obviously, there's extreme examples. I mean, if you land in the paper and, you know... Um, you know, your substance use disorder takes you in a direction that leads to something dramatic. Um, there will be more monitoring, um, but in general, uh, it's it's a more it's a softer general way, gentler way, um, and approach that's rooted in the idea of getting you healthy and back to work. And in, in, you know, with physicians' health programs, it's not like that at all. You know so you,
0: you keep going. You keep mentioning these physician health programs, and I think it bears discussion what what this is. So, yeah. I've I've heard if if I hadn't listened to your podcast, I
2: don't think I'd know what a PHP was. So, what is it? What is uh, well? I had program? no idea what it was until I landed in one myself. But a physician's health program is a program and and. Almost every, not every state has them, but almost every state has them. And they kind of operate in conjunction with the medical board, and they focus on physician health and wellness. And it's usually physicians that are struggling with substance use disorders. Sometimes it's behavioral issues. Um, For a substance use disorder, at least in the state of Pennsylvania, what happens is you sign a five-year contract, the physician's health program, Um, and your license usually stays intact um, and there's no public reporting of your issue, and there's certain things that you have to do, and one is going to therapy, uh, one is going to group therapy. The other thing is you know, going to a certain number of 12-step meetings every week, which need to be logged in. It, it also involves random urine testing, screening, and and depending on the individual, there may be some other um, other requirements as well. And uh, as you progress through it, the testing goes down. Eventually, you don't have to do group therapy. And if if you listen to the physician health programs, you know they have very high success rates. And you know that's we don't know. See, the problem is there's there's not really any oversight to physicians' health programs. Um, so we and we they don't share their data, so we don't know the exact numbers, but. Historically, they claim very high success rates. Uh, that's, that's kind of the short of it.
0: So what? that sounds reasonable, right? You go yes. Therapy, you go to group therapy. There's a, a monitoring program because part of the reason this exists is it's a patient safety issue. So you have to make sure that the practicing physicians that have a history of substance use disorder aren't actively using substances. This all sounds reasonable. However, there are some flaws in their system. What, what would you say the, those... What, where is there room for improvement I, in this system?
2: I, th- I think if it's really... Like if these systems, if these programs are really about health and wellness, I don't think a cookie cutter approach is the way to go. And they really plug everybody in for the most part into the same general um, program. And like for me, I didn't have an issue with it. Um, when I entered the PHP, I was a year and a half into recovery. You know, I had no pro. I was already doing therapy. I enjoyed group. I was a twelve step person. But some people find it. You know, they, they either they're not on board with twelve step. You know, maybe you know their religious background or they're atheist and they struggle with that. Some. Why? Why have, would that be? Um, You know, 12 step programs are problematic for some people that, you know, it's all, you know, it's rooted in the idea that there's a higher power. Right. Um, Isn't that the first step? And yeah, well, admitting your powerlessness, you know, that you're powerless over drugs and alcohol. You know, that's the first step. But some people find that problematic. Right. And so it's interesting. There was just a lawsuit and this is in Canada and British Columbia of a nurse that was denied his license and he was in recovery because he refused to go to 12-step programs. And this went, I think, all the way to the Supreme Court and he just won. There was actually an article on it yesterday that he should not have to be required to do these meetings, right? Now, there's other because recovery you know recovery isn't just 12 step like recovery is many things to many people and i always say it changes over time so like you know to me recovery is going out for a run right or 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 being connected with you know friends or family or you know reading or meditating like it's not just 12 step and some of these rigid programs i mean it doesn't sound like a big deal but when you're forcing somebody um it's almost like forcing someone to practice a religion right for a certain amount of time that they absolutely are opposed to. Um, and that's really not honoring their lives and you know their life and their beliefs. Um, the other thing is, we don't have any evidence that 12-step programs necessarily work, like they work when they work i I found it very helpful. some of my colleagues don 't find it helpful at all and and other colleagues find it actually harmful you know and they really struggle with it. Um, so I think we have to you know like recovery and substance use disorders it 's really different for different people and it 's not like you know if you have hypertension. Everybody doesn't get the same drug, right? Everybody doesn't get the same diet. Like, it it doesn't work that way. If it's a disease, we should treat it like a disease and and the solution is not always the same. Um, and it's problematic. And the other, like, just a starting point to looking at these programs is they should be, we need to see their data, right? We don't really know what's going on behind closed doors. And you hear horror stories all the time of physicians committing suicide, you know, being homeless on the street. And, uh, you know, for the right person, it works. And for other people, it doesn't necessarily work. But because it doesn't work doesn't mean that they're not doing the right thing. Like, Like the program itself can be a huge barrier, you know, to recovery.
0: And then if they feel like that's not working for them, then they feel like there's something wrong with them. Why is it working for everyone else? It's not working for me. There's something wrong with me. And then that's going to push
2: them back towards their... Right. And then, th- and then think about the stakes, right? So if you don't do what they say, you don't have a license. And then there's public disclosure, right? So they report you to the board. The board posts something publicly. Your license is suspended. You can't work right? There's a whole cascade of events that occur that your life is... And there are physicians that are broke, that are homeless, um, because they're not able to, you know, to move through these programs and do what is required. Um, but that, what they are requiring doesn't necessarily mean you're successful and you're healthy, right? Yeah, it just means then, you jumped
0: you jumped through their hoops you, in the you, time. You jumped that you right
2: need to do it. Yeah. Right. And and addiction, you know, addiction is a chronic, progressive, relapsing disease, you know, stress induced. Like if you look at the ASAM definition, but after five years, you get your seal of approval and you can go and do whatever you want. Right. Which is just that doesn't even make sense itself. Right. And my whole thing is like if we really are concerned about protecting the public, if we're really concerned about physician health and wellness, the people that the physicians that are in the hospital or, you know, um, in the clinics, offices, you know, all over the country, you know, we should be providing support for them. Right? Like, like, they should be getting therapy. You know, they should be going to groups and, you know, and, and, you know, this is controversial, but, you know, should we be testing them? Right? Pilots get randomly tested. Um, and I'm not advocating for that because tests, you know, drug and alcohol testing is problematic, at, you know, in, in and of itself. But we're not doing anything for those. We're just taking a select group that had an issue, putting them through some program that, Maybe, you know, maybe it has a great success rate. Maybe it doesn't. There was a recent article in the New England Journal of Medicine by Leo Bilecki and Dr. Sarah Wakeman up at Harvard. And the article's entitled Practice What We Preach. And it's really focused on um, opioid agonist therapy for people with opioid use, for physicians with opioid use disorder, um, which is Suboxone, right? And in these programs, um, Suboxone is a no-no. Right. Um, you can't be on Suboxone or buprenorphine or methadone and practice medicine and have a license. What's uh, the reasoning behind uh, that? That's well, they, there's no, you know, absolute, but. But the general thought thought process is is that you're impaired if you're on these medications. But we don't have evidence; we don't really have good evidence on that. Um, But what about you know a physician that takes Ambien at night or takes you know. Um, a Xanax, or you know, some other benzo to go to sleep, or is on some other psychotropic, you know, met some of these antidepressants. Are they? No, it comes down to stigma and our deeply rooted attitudes um, that these people are are sick and flawed, you know, and are not safe. But we, <laughs> but that's not the truth. And it's you should take a look at the article if you get a chance because it and i always say like that's the tip of the iceberg because it brings into question so many of our attitudes towards our own colleagues right I, like i always say how we treat our own tells us everything we need to know right so so how you know i treat my colleague who's struggling with a substance use disorder really you know shows us what we're thinking and what our beliefs are and I, th- I think the stigma and the attitudes within the medical community towards people with substance use disorders is the, is the worst, is among the worst. And I'm not, there are some great people doing great work um, out there, but I think ge- in general and as a system, we don't do a very good job um, when it if,
0: comes to if that. You, if you were building a PHP program from the ground up, right?
2: Let's, and this, it seems like it's state to state. Right, like each it, state. well, that and that's the other problem. It varies from state to state. So these programs aren't even uniform, right? Like, interesting. It, we should be able to use that data then, right? If they're yes. so different,
0: you can you can then compare uh, which ones are more effective, which ones are less effective, what's the differences between them to try and figure out what are the what are the aspects of it that really help our physician colleagues the best. And so, that's a great, so, that's
2: a great idea. If so let's they, say
0: you had free reign, right? Of over, you're in Pennsylvania. Let's give you New Hampshire. I just chose that at Ransom. random, mm-hmm. right? You get to build it. You get to build it yourself. How would you do that? What would you? What would the PHB consist
2: of? Wow, that's. I mean, that's a great question. I I think I would start with sitting down. With a group of physicians that have had substance use disorders um, in the past, um, currently have substance use disorders, and talk to them about exactly what are their wants and needs and like from my understanding and what I know about recovery, um, you know having connection, having support, having purpose is critical right so you know, when it comes down to, you know, the safe space, like making, like, we have to change the culture. Well, people, you know, put people in a place where they can open up and connect with their colleagues. You know, obviously, there would have to be a treatment component, an education component. Uh, I think you would have to involve hospital systems, you know, senior leadership and hospital systems, and have them involved in the in the program. And, just create a program where people can share their struggles get the support they need and this is going to it's going to vary because you know some of it has to do with trauma um, a lot of it has to do with trauma and, and dealing with trauma and every individual is going to be different, right? So I just, you know, to gre- create one entire program, I think, I think the way, you know, the Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers does it, where there's an anonymous component, where you're protected, where you're referred, you know, in a confidential way um, to different resources that can help you and connect you. I think... Peer support is a massive part of this. Being paired up with somebody with lived experience that's been successful that can guide you through and support you is really, really important in all of this. Like a sponsor. Uh, like, yeah, it's like a, like a sponsor, but I, I think more than a sponsor because you know, a sponsor takes you through the steps of whatever program it is. Say, say that's AA. Peer support is much more, you know, peer support is someone you can look to and say, hey, like, he's had these struggles, or she's had these struggles and has been successful. And this is what they did. And this is how they got there. And a sponsor doesn't necessarily do that for you. I mean, a sponsor can be very important and is a really good sounding board. But I think somebody, you know, a, a peer, peer support is like the next level, and it's like seeing is believing because a lot of times you get into recovery and things are bad, things are really bad and life seems hopeless. And, you know, we're always comparing ourselves to other people. And unless you can see a path forward, it, it can be very, you know, and, I, and I'm like a privileged, you know, individual that had a ton of, you know, the support and abundance of resources that led to a very strong recovery. But most people don't have that and everybody should have that. You know, everybody should have access to that. And I think aspects of the PHP are important. I think group therapy is really important. I think having a group of people around you that get to know you, that can call you on your bullshit um, and give you insight into yourself is one of the most powerful things you can do, you know, group, a group therapy, peer support, and support at work in the workplace. Because I think getting back to work, you know, assuming you're in a mental state where you can be successful is one of the most important things. And I was, ta- I was talking to somebody the other day about Victor Frankl's book, A Man's Search for Meaning.
0: Oh, that's my Bible. Like that is... Me, like one of me too. Books. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and there's a line in there, said like, he who has a why can bear any how. You know, and this is a guy that was in a concentration camp, like, you know, a, a, a psychotherapist, a psychiatrist that was living and was just trying to survive. And when, like, when you're struggling with a substance use disorder, it is about survival. I mean, it is, it is primal. You are just existing and surviving. And then you step into recovery and it's, it is scary at first, and it's very confusing, and it can feel very hopeless. And I think like having meaning and purpose in, in your life, is one, I think, is one of the most important things to recovery. And, I, and that's why I think getting back to work, especially for us as physicians, um, where we've invested so much of our lives in doing this, and, and most of us, it's our identity, it's who we are. And when you strip that away, which was my experience, which we'll talk about a little bit, you know, that, that itself is extremely traumatic and very hard to deal with. Um, And so I think getting back to work quickly, but then once you're in the workplace, you need support, right? It's because it's not, everything's changed. So you need guidance at work and we need, we need systems and people at work in our its institutions that we can go to and maybe it's having groups you know in the hospital having you know a therapist or a or a peer support individual in the hospital that you can on your break go and hey man you know I want to talk about this I want to talk about that it's really about like in essence it's about connection and support right and believing the people around you are invested in your success right Um, And I think most physicians that are in these physician health programs, and I don't want to totally bash them because there is a lot of good in there. And I got, and my personal experience was actually very good. But I think it's a very, it's a very, for most people, it's a very adversarial relationship. They see it as, you know, us versus them. And it shouldn't be, that relationship has to change, right? People don't believe they're there to lift them up and support them and make them successful. Their belief is that they're trying to catch me.
0: Yeah, when, they're there to catch them when they slip up, not there right. to
2: help them not slip up. Right. Exactly. Which is a huge, like, it sounds like something small, but it's massive and it completely changes the relationship because like like most of us, right? Like the administrators, the insurance companies, you know, the PHP, it's like, it's this whole constellation, you know, it's like the whole system is out to get us and we're working in it just trying to survive and trying to do good. And so I don't know if I totally answered your question. It's a great question. And and I haven't thought a lot about that. But Well, you answered a lot of other questions that I had (laughs) along the way.
1: That was Dr. Bradley Block at The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on The Physician's Guide to Doctoring.